the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, well, let's uh, take a moment, if we can, shift gears here and talk a bit about the markets. As we know, over the last two, three weeks, wow, it's been a really wild ride. Although the news has gotten much brighter in the last couple of days, two solid days on the Dow. A lot of this response to the news that finally Congress is working together a relief package to help bring a little bit of the pressure down from individuals and businesses that have been reeling from the impact of the coronavirus here across the United States. Yesterday, as we all know, the Dow up over 11 percent. 2,112 points for the day, an incredible day on Tuesday. Today, some good news as well. Let's get a report. Pat Fatucci joins us now. Pat, of course, is the host of Don't Invest and Forget, heard every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. He's been in the world of money management, retirement planning for more than 30 years. He's seen good times, bad times, and even sideways times. And uh, Pat, he said, we're all kind of scratching our heads to try and figure out What's happening here, the impact on life, the impact on business, a lot has changed. The good news is, though, that we're seeing the markets showing a little bit of inclination now towards some resiliency. Tell us what happened today. Well, again, 11% in one day, that would be a wonderful year to report. And we would love to have 11% in any normal year, but these are hardly normal times. So we're seeing these algorithmic trading by computers is at an all-time high, and so we're seeing some unprecedented uh, swings that can drive anybody, at least the even the professionals, never mind uh, John and Mary's uh, family out there, trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, this virus is certainly causing consternation among all of us. And so the, I think the, the key thing, we've been saying this for a long time, stay calm. Normalcy will return, whether it's a month or whether it's a couple months. Fundamentally, the USA is in great shape. We've experienced uh, phenomenal metrics uh, as of a month ago. We've never seen those metrics be more superlative than we've seen of late. So we don't want to overreact. In fact, if you're a long-term buyer, uh, this is maybe a good time to dip your toe in the water and have more exposure to the equity markets if they're down as significantly as they are and you've got time on your side, meaning three to five years or so of before you need to actually use the money, wow, this is, uh, is a great buying time in my view. But, again, it needs careful review. Uh, if, you've, if you're looking at your – financial status and you're looking at all the dangling pieces of estate planning, insurance planning, tax planning, uh, if all those items point to to uh, being calm and, and being deliberative and buying, uh, then uh, this is the opportunity, I think. But, and again, we would certainly like to review 
any of your listeners' uh, portfolio and give some advice, even on a remote basis. Clearly, we can't meet with them during these times, but uh, we can um, certainly conduct a financial, virtual financial session with any of our listeners. We're doing that with all of our clients. We're talking to all of our clients, making sure they're calm and 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 seeking out their needs in these in this uh, very turbulent time. Uh, Pat, let's put things in perspective. While we've seen this enormous roller coaster ride over the last several weeks, and and certainly watching us drop from what had been a high of, of almost approaching thirty thousand, and then coming back down below the the twenty thousand mark, and then a bit of resurgence certainly yesterday with the Dow up over two thousand points, and another four hundred and ninety five points today. The end of the day at twenty one thousand two hundred. Do we need to be mindful that the Dow Jones Industrial Average is not a report on the health of the entire economy, nor is it a report on the health of every company in the country, that in fact it only represents 30 companies? And if you've got a company with the Dow component, like, for example, Boeing, that has been hammered horribly, not only because of the, the cutback in airline travel, but also we all know of Boeing's problems in relationship to uh, the MAX 8 and 9, I, I would suppose that a company like Boeing alone, with its troubles, could have a really tough impact on the Dow, and thus lead people to believe falsely so that things are far worse than they actually are. Is that correct? Is that a correct analysis? It really is. You know, we've, we've said for years the Dow Jones Industrial Average is probably the worst reflection we could we can we can spend a lot of time on. But that seems to be the popular number that that um, most people want to hear about. As you said, it's only thirty stocks. The S&P 500, clearly a much more um, reflective indicator with 500 stocks and not 30. And so you point out Boeing and a couple of the airlines, maybe a couple of the cruise lines, uh, would really distort the down numbers. And so we've got to be um, understanding of what that really means, and you don't want to act based on what 30 stocks are doing, you'd rather act based on what 500 stocks are doing, um, or the Wilshire 5,000, uh, even even a, a better indicator. So we've got to be careful to uh, drill down and look at these uh, the top story in the 6 o'clock news and understand its implications for you personally. And it may not be true for... You know, IBM or, or any corporate, giant corporate company worth billions of dollars, it's, it's, it's John and Mary's portfolio that needs um, the kind of deliberate review and uh, sane analysis of these numbers because you can make some really bad moves uh, based on some looking at the wrong index. Yeah, it really is that bigger picture that you talk about all the time, certainly on your program, um, that we need to be keeping in mind and uh, and to make sure that we're actively engaged in this, but not over 
reacting. And I suppose if you're trying to measure what's happening with your 401k every single day, that's not a good idea, is it? To be checking in every day to say, where are we at today? As if somehow that's going to make you feel any better. If anything, it's probably going to make you feel a lot worse before it's all over with. Well, and guess what? Being housebound in in this shelter-in-place environment, you know, you're tending to sit on the computer more, maybe watch TV more, and, and check on those accounts on a more regular basis, which is the absolute wrong thing, thing to do. I mean, going out, taking a long walk or a run or a bicycle ride, whatever, is uh, certainly the medicine I would encourage our listeners to to consider and not dwelling over how much they lost or how much they didn't make or what happened yesterday on the news. That's... Um, that's a recipe for a disaster. Craig. Now, Pat, for folks that uh, are looking for a little bit of relief, they've they've uh, been closed out of their office. Maybe uh, they run the kind of business that when they're not open, they're not making money. And so as a result, they're worried about paychecks and things of that sort. Uh, one avenue of some relief that's coming our way uh, is being provided from all of the most unlikely sources, the IRS. Tell us about the new decision that has been handed down by both the Internal Revenue Service and now the California State Franchise Tax Bureau that should help us breathe at least temporarily a little bit easier. Yeah, the the entire postponement of our taxes, that magical date of April 15th, is now July 15th. It's my birthday, so I get to file my tax return on my my birthday. How about that? I I don't know if that's ever been done in the history of the country. I'd have to go back to probably 1929 when the Great Depression hit to see if the government made those kinds of adjustments. But um, that gives us all, uh, it takes the pressure off us to gather all of our stuff up in this very difficult period where it's, it's difficult to get people on the phone and return phone calls. Uh, this, this remote working, it just adds another layer of confusion and, and, and delay in getting K-1s or 1099s or any of these things we need to prepare. So the good news is that the government has given us um, a lot more time to, to get our, our act together, and I think that's, that's very reasonable and very prudent. Now, Pat, typically not only is April 15th the deadline for when we have to file and or pay our taxes, but also the deadline for contributions for 2019 toward things like IRAs, Roth IRAs, health savings accounts, things of this sort. Has that deadline been extended to July 15th as well, to your knowledge? To my knowledge, it's all been extended. So Again, that gives us a lot of relief and time to reflect and consider what we want to do especially given the fact that maybe you were going to make a deposit by April 15th, but now cash flow is an issue. Working remotely, maybe you're on a half a salary. It's just a smart move on the government's part. So a- I, absolutely I so. And, of course, if you're somebody now who, who is anticipating getting money back from the IRS, uh, file now. Don't, don't delay. Don't wait. But if you're anticipating having to write a check, the IRS and the Franchise Tax Board is saying give you a little bit of a break here, and the deadline has now moved out to July 15th. So the question is, where do you remain today? And certainly all of us have been nerve-wracked by what we're seeing going on in the news and, and the conflicts of information out of Washington, D.C. and so forth. Take a big, deep breath. 
And with a little extra time on your hands, why not take advantage of the complimentary financial health and retirement plan review that's offered by Vitucci and Associates? And, you know, the beautiful thing with technology, a go-to-meeting, something over Zoom or certainly by telephone can easily be had, and you can do that right in the convenience of your own home. To schedule your complimentary appointment, no obligation at all, go online to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com or call them toll free at 888-PLAN-WISE, 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Well, Pat Fatucci, we appreciate you dropping in to give us a bit of an update on the markets today. Thanks, Craig. Stay well. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There's a bit of graffiti that I saw on a wall one day that made such an interesting statement. You, you've heard this phrase before, God is dead. Nietzsche, in fact, had made that comment low many years ago. So here is the big piece of graffiti on the wall that says, God is dead, Nietzsche. And somebody had come along and tagged it in different color spray paint and drew a big circle with a line through it. And then down below wrote the following phrase, Nietzsche is dead, God. <laughs> it makes you, makes you kind of look at the whole debate over the existence of a higher power, a greater being, uh, God himself, and the sense that struggle in the modern age of, of increased knowledge that people have. While I think there is unprecedented levels of interest and hunger in spiritual matters. Um, along with that, though, we see the fastest-growing segment of belief is, in fact, non-belief or atheism. Well, why is that? And how much of this has to do with understanding of God and the, the level of the way in which Christians live out their lives, and in some ways, perhaps embarrassingly so, turn people off to the gospel? How can we put forward evidence for God in an age of uncertainty? Well, we've invited uh, Dr. Rice Brooks to join us on the program. He is um, pastor of Bethel World Outreach Church. He's the author of a number of best-selling books. His latest, simply entitled, God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. And Pastor Brooks, great to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Craig. This is, uh, this is an old debate, but it's a debate that seems to be ever-increasing these days, as certainly we see a tremendous interest in the occult, in the supernatural, um, in um, alternative so-called religions like Wicca and paganism and so on and so forth. I don't, don't think there's any argument that mankind still doesn't quest for some kind of a, a satisfaction to a spiritual thirst, but the manner in which we go about doing it, and in particular the direction in which we head in terms of whether or not we ultimately arrive at belief in God or not, that seems to be changing. And as you point out in the book, uh, remarkably and disappointingly so, the fastest segment of those in the arena of belief are those who believe in nothing. Why is that? Craig, uh, that was actually a Newsweek article uh, last Easter that said that they, they noted that, that the fastest growing of, quote, uh, area segment of, quote, belief is, uh, is uh, atheism or skepticism. I think, uh, you know, after, probably after 9-11, there was a rash, uh, shortly after there was a rash of books by men like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and, and the late Christopher Hitchens, and they they took their beef with religion public in a, in a greater way um, to to basically to ridicule faith, to say there's no evidence for God, 
And so a lot of those books and materials have come out, and there's just this rash of that kind of, it's almost like a political campaign. And I think that uh, the arguments that they put forth are flawed, and if, but if there's no response to those arguments, uh, then, then those arguments, though deeply flawed, will prevail. So I think that what happens, and that's the reason I wrote the book, God's Not Dead, one of the reasons is because I think there are clear, uh, clear, straightforward arguments or evidences for God, but you have to know what they are. And, of course, you have to live it out. I wonder, just based on what we see as modern-day Christianity in a world of, uh, you know, mega churches and, and the approach towards, uh, uh, you know, New Ageism, so on and so forth, creeping into what had been um, normative evangelical Christianity, that there are a growing number of believers out there who can't defend their faith because the faith they have is indefensible, meaning that it is weak, it is listless, it's ineffective. Craig, you're right, and I mean, I mean, really, the I mean, Jesus himself came along, and the greatest, seems like some of the greatest criticisms was against religion itself or the practice that uh, thereof and the, and the mis- misunderstanding that lives of people gave in terms of what, how they represented God. But, you know, again, I have five children. If my children do bad things, that doesn't mean I don't exist. And so I think it's really beside the point. The question of does God exist, is there evidence for him? Uh, I believe there's clear, clear-cut evidence, not only scientifically, philosophically, and then ultimately, historically, in the resurrection of Christ. And though lives of certain people are, who profess to be believers uh, maybe discredits that or points away from that, I think that we have to say those are, philosophically, those are called ad hominem arguments, meaning it's argument against the man. But um, really, when you, when you start looking at that and when you start putting forth the evidence for God, uh, in fact, the Newsboys, a Christian group uh, that many of them have been a part of our church out here, they have a song uh, that they uh, put forth called "God's Not Dead." And in the last 18 months, it was a, you know, a very fast number one hit. And and, and there was it's a it's almost like an anthem for faith, as opposed to maybe John Lennon's "Imagine There's No Heaven," which if there's an anthem for unbelief, that might be the the song, but um, then the newsboys, many of them came and said, you know, would you write this book to to give the evidence? Because really, uh, three out of four young people will leave their church youth groups, and when they get to college, three out of four will will pretty much leave their faith behind. Is part of the challenge here, even as we try to go about giving evidence for God, that the, the protagonist ends up having to deal with maybe an even bigger question that's being presented, and not just that God exists or doesn't exist, but that why his existence even matters? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I was actually at a... I work a lot, Craig, on the university campuses. Our, our ministry, we're on maybe 700 campuses around the world, and I was out on a, a campus, a University of Buenos Aires, and I, I had a translator with me, and I, I had four atheists there and they basically posed that to me. They said, well, why does this even matter? Why does the existence of God even matter? Why do we even need to discuss it? And one of them had a guitar. And so through the translator, I, I said, do you write music? And he thought I was changing the subject and said, you know, he, like, okay, let's quit talking about God. Let's talk about me. And he said, yes, I, I write music. And I, I said, let me ask you, I said, I said, have you ever written a song? He said, yes, I've written a song. And I said, why did you write it? And he said, I wanted to bless, I wanted to, he didn't say bless, he said, I wanted to help people, I wanted to express my feelings. And I said, well, what if you wrote a song and somebody either denied you wrote it or took credit for what you wrote? Would that bother you? And he just instantly said, absolutely, you know, in his own, however he said that. And I said, well, what if you created a planet? 
In other words, God is the creator. Now, we're so uh, we're so in tune to our intellectual property rights and to that, but here God is the creator of everything. He has the patent on air. He has the patent on DNA. Because he is the creator, then all of life points to his ownership. And that's what in the, in the Scripture talks about when we stop honoring him as God or giving thanks and our hearts become darkened. So because God is real, he is the ultimate basis of reality. And so to deny that or to ignore that, it's much like a fish that just says, I just don't want to acknowledge water. I don't want to acknowledge what surrounds me. Uh, and, it's, and it says, in him we live and move and have our being. So everything, it's everything to do with a healthy life, with a normal life, to understand the, the very ground of our being, which is God himself. And the existence of your doubt does not pretend to the notion that, therefore, what you doubt exists certainly does not. We're going to go a little bit deeper on this uh, Equation. We're visiting today with uh, Dr. Rice Brooks. The book is called God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. We'll take a brief time out. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Dr. Rice Brooks with us today. A look at God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. And certainly there's plenty of that these days with the the knowledge on the increase, as Scripture tells us it would happen. More and more people want evidence. When it comes down to that evidence, let's talk about that. There's often that sense out there, uh, Dr. Brooks, that this is all about blind faith and that somehow we need to check our brains at the door, that there is a disconnect between science and belief. Talk to us a bit about this notion that somehow uh, belief in God necessitates that we completely disconnect our intellect. Uh, Craig, excellent point. In fact, last year I went to the Global Atheist Convention uh, down in Australia to listen firsthand to men like Richard Dawkins and the rest of these uh, folks that are putting this forth. And um, that was really their central contention. Ironically, Craig, uh, on the opening night of the convention, there were four professional comedians. You'd think you'd go all the way to Melbourne to hear, you know, something very scientific and profound or, you know, deeply philosophical to substantiate their lack of faith, and, and it was just insult and mockery. And ironically, there was very little reason present at the global celebration of reason, as they called it. On the other hand, real faith isn't blind, meaning that we have faith based on, number one, that we know God is real from what he's created. I think science is pointing to that. In fact, um, I was in the home of a man named Francis Collins, who uh, headed up the Human Genome Project. And, and really, Craig, imagine this. Imagine, imagine somebody listening got a text on their phone, and, and usually what we call it is a pocket text. And, and you had a few disjointed letters or disconnected letters. You'd know it was somebody sat on their phone. If somebody gave you a complete sentence, like if a student, you know, don't tell anybody I cheated on the test, they would know that sentence was not randomly produced. Well, what about a sentence 3.1 billion letters long? That's the ordered information in the human genome. And that's what caused men like Anthony Flew, who used to be the world's most famous atheist, to basically, before he died, to say, I now believe in God because of the information in DNA. And so if you go to the very beginning of the universe, uh, scientists talk about it being fine-tuned, meaning that from the very beginning, if you just take what physicists tell us about the Big Bang, 
uh, basically there was such an order and it's almost like you had little knobs like if you had a universe starter kit and gravity and other other of these constants and quantities were so finely tuned that the only response that atheists have is is that well there must be an infinite number of universes say if you have an infinite number of chances then you get a universe like ours which has all of these fantastically uh, calibrated uh, uh, you know you know equations and equations but that's when you take laws and put them into mathematical statements they are they are it displays and, and shows the in, incredible order in the universe. Stephen Hawking, probably the most celebrated physicist of our time, uh, had a show on the Discovery Channel, and he said the universe could pop into existence on its own, out of nothing. And it's basically this, you know, kind of the implication of quantum mechanics, which says that in the subatomic world, these particles kind of appear and disappear. But there's this kind of underlying thing that they say the laws of physics would predict this. So what you have, Craig, is you either have an eternal set of laws that have just been there or an eternal lawgiver, which is the better explanation. So, right, what, what about the argument you made mention earlier, you brought up Richard Dawkins' name, uh, and you're, you're kind of heading down the road toward uh, the notion of intelligent design. Now, Richard Dawkins would suggest that, well, wait a minute now, to, to suggest there's design, <coughs> design and complexity about mankind, and therefore, if, if design, then an intelligent designer, that suggests then that the designer, by, by course, by nature, must be more complex than what he or it has designed, and, and therefore an absolute impossibility. What about that argument? Well, it, he's really, it's really kind of a twist on, actually, a, uh, from a theologian named William of Ockham uh, in Ockham's Razor, which basically said if you have two explanations, the simpler one should be chosen. But, I mean, that's like saying I go into an art museum and say, well, I'm trying to figure out who made this painting, and I can't, I can't postulate an artist because the artist would be more complex than the painting. You see, so simplicity, the, 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 if you start looking at the complexities, or the complexities, rather, of what it would take for a universe to start itself, the complexities of all the detail from DNA to the fine-tuning to the moral, to, to the morality within humans, to the existence of consciousness, uh, I mean, think about this. I mean, when Dawkins talks about who designed the designer, well, uh, you're, you're really, that's kind of like a schoolyard. It's like if you go to the moon, Al, Alvin Plantinga, a philosopher, said if you go to the moon and found a, you know, somehow this big machinery on the other side and, and somebody said, oh, that couldn't have, you know, that, that just had to happen because, you know, it couldn't have just gotten here on its own or if you're positing somebody brought that here, they would be more complex than that. I mean, it really becomes an absurd argument. So I think the evidence, Craig, the evidence of design, the evidence of morality, the evidence of our own conscious minds and personality, and ultimately reason itself. There is no other explanation for reason than a, than a mind behind the universe. Uh, C.S. Lewis would have said it this way, what's more plausible, that mind brought matter into existence or that inanimate, you know, you know uncaused or, you know, matter brought mind into existence? So the best explanation, I believe, to the objective mind is, is that there was mind first and then matter. Well, we look, for example, at the so-called Big Bang Theory and the notion that out of this huge bang, this huge explosion, 
came such an incredible incredible degree of chaos and yet we or, or organization rather and yet since then we've never been able to repeat that every time i've seen a bomb go off we know its capability of destruction we've never seen anybody blow up a building for example and wind up with a steamship <laughs> you know the, the notion oh, that true. somehow out, out of destruction comes order simply doesn't make any sense and yet that's been one of the arguments that they've hung frivolously too for so many decades. If you've tuned in a bit late, we're visiting today with Dr. Rice Brooks. The book is called God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. We'll come back to more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation in this portion of the program with Dr. Rice Brooks, the book is called God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. Doctor, what about this notion that it seems to be it's either God or science, that they're mutually exclusive, people that like to engage in that debate? Um, They're looking for the historicity of Christ the eyewitness accounts, the normal things that we would ask of anyone who's giving a an account of an event that took place that the rest of us did not witness. For example, uh, how, how do we know that the Titanic sunk? None of us, for the most part, were alive in 1912 when that event occurred, but we have the accounts of eyewitnesses. We have historical evidence. We have scientific proof, so to speak, to back up the fact that such a vessel did exist, it did sink, and a thousand people perished at sea. Right. I, I, Craig, I think what you're saying is, is that, you know, first of all, science, uh, science and God, I mean, the, science rose out of a Christian worldview. People don't realize this, that the original scientists, so to speak, were believers. And the reason it rose out of a Christian ethos was because they believed the universe and the world was rationally understandable. And because of that, they understood, like Isaac Newton understood, the mathematical order of the world. And, 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 of, and you start seeing the complexity of things and the harmony of things. I mean, Einstein himself, who was no, uh, he didn't believe in a personal God, but he certainly, uh, he certainly said things that people today that are trying to portray him as an ultimate skeptic don't like to be reminded of. He said the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that the universe is comprehensible. And so uh, scientists have talked about that people who are Christians talk about it being like binocular vision, that it takes faith and science working together. Uh, science can tell you if you go into a kitchen and you see a boil of you know water on the you, a pot boiling on the stove, you can measure the heat and when the water boils and the, 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 all of the elements that are making up the pot. But science can't tell you why that pot of tea is boiling or why that kettle is boiling. Well, I'm going to make a cup of tea. Would you like one? As C.S. Lewis would have said. So there's there's the ultimate questions of why we're here. Is Gottfried Leibniz? Uh, mathematician and a believer would ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, I was on a university campus at the University of New Orleans, and I, I, I posed that to the classroom. I said, look, you have either, you, you either, everything you see either created itself or it was started by something besides itself, thinking that would be a simple little choice of every, everything we see, matter, energy, space, time, all of it just started itself or it was started by something besides itself. And a student raised his hand. He said, there's a third choice. I said, well, what is it? He said, maybe we're not here at all. I, and a class kind of laughed, and I said, well, in that case, you wouldn't be here. 
So be quiet. But no, we're here. And so why is there something rather than nothing? Scientists can't answer that. They can't answer where did life come from? Darwin proposed evolution, but evolution is a theory that tells you what happens after you get life. It can't tell you where the self-replicating mutator uh, or that, that mechanism came from, much less the original organism. Darwin said that in The Origin of Species. We, have no, we at this point have no understanding as to where life came from. Uh, the scientists can't answer why are we moral. You know, people talk about the problem of evil, but what about the problem of good? For every one person that goes in and shoots up a theater or does something in a school, there's millions more that would never do such a thing and know it's wrong and reach out in comfort and concern and compassion. And so why are we moral? What's, what, what is this thing called morality that we know there's a right and a wrong? And Darwinian ethics can't explain that. Darwinian ethics can't tell us why Hitler was wrong versus uh, other scientists from other countries. And the ultimate question uh, Craig, that science can't answer is, who can we trust to fix us? And really, I think for our listeners, and the, you know, whether it's politics or interest rates, I mean, all the things you cover on this show, everybody's looking for who can I trust, whose advice can I trust? And really, the ultimate evidence of why we can trust in Jesus Christ is because the, the God himself, the creator, became a man in Christ. And he walked on this earth, and then he inexplicably to, the, to those around him uh, gave himself over to, to be killed. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And, and interesting, he rose from the dead in the very place where it would have been easiest to disprove, which was Jerusalem. I lived in Jerusalem for several months, been there many times, and nobody doubts there really that Jesus lived. Uh, it's really, it comes down to what happened, nor did he really did he died. The question, the ultimate question is, what happened after three days? And when he came out of that grave in history, resurrected, it verified his identity. And that's why we know we can trust his voice, his words, uh, his, his, his wisdom. We can trust that. We can trust that advice, if you will, and say that God hasn't just kind of given us some vague understanding. He has reached us in Christ and given us the ultimate evidence. In The Ultimate Evidence, and I know inside the book, God's Not Dead, you refer to nine basic proofs of the, the, the evidence of God. Is the ultimate design here to be a handbook for believers to understand more about their faith as they share it with others in a more vibrant fashion? Or is this even appropriate for someone who's a seeker that says, you know, I don't know that God exists, or I have severe doubts of his existence, and I've been challenged, and so I'd like to do some research? Greg, thank you for that question. It's really all of the above. I mean, I think, number one, there's a lot of people that know God is real. You know he's real, but you just can't show it. Uh, you have a subjective experience of God, but if you're asked by a classmate, by a coworker, in fact, the man who, one of the men who inspired this book was in the Christian music industry. His name is Dean, and uh, he'd been in there for several years, and he said, he said to me, he said, I was actually talked out of my faith by an atheist. And he's driving down the highway, and uh, he just, out of his mouth, he said, God, I just can't believe in you anymore. Here's a Christian music executive in the city I'm in right now, Nashville, and he just finally is so embarrassed because this atheist pretty much said something that he couldn't respond to, that he just verbalizes this, hey, God, I don't want to believe in you anymore. And he said, no sooner had he said that, that he hears a voice that said, who do you think you're talking to? Mm. 
So he literally pulls his car off the side of the road on I-40 here in Nashville to get his heart right, he said, but he still had to get his head right. And see, this is the thing, is that God, we don't have a faith that can't be examined. God doesn't want us to bury our doubts or just swallow and follow or don't think like that. He calls us to love him with all of our minds and hearts. So first of all, if you're a believer, but yet you're struggling with doubts, or I, can't exp- I don't think I could explain this to an unbeliever, then yes, I've written this book, God's Not Dead, to give you those proofs. Uh, but if you are a seeker, or even more, if you're a skeptic, uh, you know, Craig, my atheist brother, I, I, I tell the story about my brother, who is my older brother. He was in law school at Southern Methodist University. He had a master's degree in counseling and psychology. And in his third year, at the top of his class, he came home to talk me out of the Christian faith. Mm. And he'd been studying the Bible to find the contradictions. And really, in, the, in trying to answer his questions, it dawned. I just looked at him and I said, Ben, it's not what you don't know about God that's keeping you from him. It's what you do know. It's like trying to hold a beach ball under the water, it says in Romans, and men suppress the truth in unrighteousness, and that's what he was doing. And uh, the night he came home to talk me out of the faith, I actually baptized my older brother. He's an attorney now, Ben Brooks, in Austin, Texas, and, and, a, and a very formidable witness for Christ. But I have found that the skeptic and the, and the atheist, I mean, I'm, I think if we talk to them and answer their questions and listen to their objections, I think this book is going to give any believer... Uh, the ability to be in that conversation. I've got a 16-year-old, and I tell him all the time, I say, his name is Wyatt. I said, Wyatt, this may be over your head, but it's not out of your reach. And I think that if, if believers, I mean, look, there's fantastic, you know, Robbie Zacharias, Lee Strobel, you can name it, William Lane Craig, Dr. Hugh Ross, on and on. But, you know, we don't just need another expert. We need millions of believers, Craig, that can articulate the evidence for their faith uh, to the world around them. And that's what I hope the book will give every believer the ability to do. And I hope then, too, for those that might even be listening right now that are decidedly in the, the, the curious category, the seeker category, maybe decidedly in the disbeliever category. You know, it has often been said sometimes by atheists that uh, uh, they, um, they've never come to faith in the existence of God or faith in Christ for one or two reasons, either because, well, they never knew a Christian who told them the story or because they did know a Christian and therefore decided not to. Don't let the behavior sometimes of others stand in your way of engaging in your own truth-seeking, your own research. Oftentimes at the end, there ultimately is much too too much evidence to simply ignore or to maintain disbelief. And good way to get educated and start, whether you're a seeker, curious, disbeliever, or somebody that's just looking to get a better handle on your own faith. Uh, you, you want to trade that weak, listless, ineffective faith for an alive, vibrant, life-changing faith. Uh, this book is a good place to start. God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty. The book, by the way, newly published by our friends over at Thomas Nelson. You can get it at the usual suspects, Bay Area bookstores, as well as through Amazon.com. And, uh, Dr. Brooks, you've got a website, too, don't you? Yes, we do. We have it's ricebrooks.com. Or you can, if, you're, if there's pastors listening, we have resources. There's actually sermon series of free notes. We'll, in other words, we're... We're wanting pastors and leaders and campus leaders. I've just come from, I'm currently on a campus tour, and 
uh, campus leaders are doing series and small group material. You can go to godsnotdead.org or ricebrooks.com. But, yeah, the book technically comes out, Craig, in about a week. I think it's a week from today, but I think you can get it uh, pre-ordered on Amazon, but it'll hit the bookstore shelves in about a week. So Excellent. We'd love, really to have, love to have you on early to do a bit of a tease here tonight, Doctor, and we'd love to get you back again soon. Thank you so much. There is Dr. Rice Brooks. God's not dead. Evidence for God in an age of uncertainty. And our thanks to Dr. Rice Brooks for being with us on this segment of the program. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.